0: This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It feels like almost every day we see a story of a smash and grab or a swarm of young people uh, with their faces covered going into a store and just using overwhelming speed and force to intimidate the people in that store to take whatever they can and run away with their ill-gotten gains. Um, Well, an off-duty police officer from Toronto has serious injuries after intervening during a store robbery on Wednesday morning. So three suspects were allegedly stealing from a retail store near Progress Avenue and Highway 401. And when the officer intervened, uh, the police say that one of the suspects stabbed him in the wrist before fleeing. And um, there's no, apparently he was off duty. There's no clear distinction between on-duty and off-duty. So here to really clear this up and give us uh, the details that we need to know is Ron Chinzer, form, a former Peel police officer. Ron, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Ron, when you hear a story like this, what do you think?
1: Listen, this is to be expected. Listen, it's the nature of policing and profession. I did the job for 17 years as a sworn officer, both in Toronto and Peel. Listen, police officers take an oath to protect and serve people and property and life. And for a police officer, you know, there's a switch that we have, and the switch never turns off. When police officers are out there patrolling the streets, they're always making sure people are okay. When they've seen crime happen in front of them, obviously there's an assessment. You know, am I out with my wife and my kids? Is it a safe place? Are weapons present? And then we do what we need to do. I've intervened in the past as well. You know, I've arrested a neighbor for domestic violence. It was a terrible situation, but it's an obligation and a duty that I had, and that's going to be fulfilled. And we've seen it fulfilled yesterday as well. So it's, it's to be expected.
0: But, but Ron, some of these off-duty cops are really off-duty. They don't have their weapon. They don't have their radio. They don't have their cuffs. They don't have any, any of the tools that they would need to be a police officer in that moment. So what is the, um, what is the protocol? What's a standard operating procedure for a, an off-duty police officer who honestly may be dressed just like a civilian and they see a crime in progress? How, what are they supposed to do?
1: Look, you you have to intervene, all right? We take an oath. Now, you're not supposed to ignore it and walk away and pretend like it never happened. Now, your response can vary. It can be, you know, given the situation, is the best response to call 911? Yeah, then do that. In other circumstances, you're still an officer of the law. Whether I am on duty or off duty, I still have the blessing from the province of Ontario or the federal government of Canada to be a police officer. And with that comes an obligation. You can't neglect it because that's actually the neglect of duty under the Police Services Act. So we have an obligation to act. Now, to act can be defined as many things. It could be like yesterday where they want to intervene, or it can be to call 911. But there is a duty and an obligation to act when we see crime on or off duty. We, uh,
0: we, uh, we, we see there's, there's, there's something about this, this generation and I think probably the generation password. when they see something going on, they, they film it. Yeah, (laughs) you know,
1: then you you hit it on it. So what a terrible response, first and foremost, you know, what a cowardly response. I mean, look, it's better than doing nothing if you want to capture it to capture the event. But to film it, the thing that pisses me off the most is when I see that and people are giggling at violent victimization. You know, they're laughing about it. They're making jokes about it. That's not okay. And, you know, luckily for us yesterday, somebody did film the event, which did capture the suspects in the getaway vehicle. So it has some value. But look, you know, I'd recommend, hey, look, if somebody's recording, somebody else should be calling 911.
0: What do we know about this police officer in particular? I mean, you know, he did something very heroic and uh, and and he got injured. And I I would say I would say he he wasn't even on duty. He was probably on a day off and he decided that he was going to jump in and and do the thing that regular people aren't supposed to do. And he got injured in the course of it. So as far as I'm concerned, that's that's as heroic as it comes. No,
1: you're 100%, Ben. Look, I can tell you, uh, I know some details, not a lot of them. I know the officer was probably on the job for around 15, 16 years, very experienced officer, uh, off-duty being, you know, not working, uh, out there probably living his normal life, going out there to to a Best Buy. You know, they call it an electronics store. Listen, it was a Best Buy, and the reason why I bring that up is because there's kids that are taking summer and seasonal jobs there. There's people going to that store to buy Christmas gifts, especially coming in December. This happened in the middle of the day. You know, and for these cowards to not only go in there and steal property, you know, organize three or more people, but then to come out and when they're confronted by it, by this officer to resort to stabbing the person, this is violence. That could have been anybody. And that's why it's important to recognize the commonalities of this violence and how, how brazen these violent criminals are to do it. They're doing petty crimes like theft. First off, that's a coward's crime. And then their response is to pull out a weapon and stab somebody who wants to intervene. It's disgusting. And you're right, that officer is a a hero, not only for being an officer, but for being an upstanding citizen uh, of Ontario.
0: I am speaking with former Peel Police Officer Ron Chinzer. We are talking about the hero who intervened at a Best Buy, got himself stabbed while he was off duty. He decided to turn flick that switch. I'm a police officer. I have a duty to intervene. I'm going to help this situation. Um, I've got I've got I've got to ask this is. um, in, in that moment, if he was able to wrestle one of these people to the ground and he doesn't have uh, zip ties and he doesn't have cuffs, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you immobilize somebody and make sure that they, they don't go anywhere until they can be properly arrested?
1: Well, you know, police officers, it's one of those professions in policing where, number one, we get training to be able to do with that because even if you have one handcuffs and you're working and you're on the street, doesn't mean you're going to have the second one that keeps the second, so that comes in. So we have ways of doing it. We have use of force. The other thing you want to do is obviously you want to try to round up some support locally to help you, probably identify yourself as a police officer. And really, this comes down to a grappling match and a bit of a control thing. Most cops train in something in martial arts. I've trained for 15 years in a variety of martial arts and competed. It does help you on there. Uh, look, you know, there's most people aren't involved in that situation, so they don't have to prepare for policing. It's not just about the off-duty, it's the on-duty. It's a part of the job. What cops get hurt. Cops get in fights. Cops get punched in the face. It's a part of our job that, unfortunately, the real world doesn't want to acknowledge or recognize. Uh, so for us, it's, it's really not out of the realm of thought and process to say, all right, we're going to get a punch-up. I might get hurt. This guy might get hurt. But really, this is the right thing to do.
0: Well, uh, Ron, I, I've got to say, uh, you know, the – it can be tough to be a cop, I, I have to assume. I think there's, uh, you know, between the, the, the headlines and the pressure, uh, and, you know, if you make a mistake, uh, there are cameras there catching it all the time. Uh, it, can, it can be tough, and it's really nice to be able to highlight something that I don't think anybody can disagree with, that this man is a hero and, uh, and, and should be uh, celebrated as such, and it should remind us of the sacrifice that police across this country are willing to make every single day to keep us safe. Um, so that is that's sort of the, the silver lining as I see it. But I did want to talk to you before we before we end this conversation. We were talking yesterday about a bad apple, a bad apple who makes other police officers look bad. That that cop who helped steal almost nine hundred thousand dollars from uh, a, a, a man dying of Alzheimer's uh, and, um, and he got seven years in prison. Uh, what what do you think when you hear about one of your fellow police officers breaking the law in such a brazen way?
1: It boils my blood. Get him out of here. Look, I think the thing to highlight is number one, nobody hates dirtier cops more than cops. Uh, the other thing to recognize is who caught this person. It's cops. So it's something <laughs> we take very seriously. And when people think, well, who police the police? Look, when a police officer gets charged and convicted, that's number one because cops investigated him. And number two two, cops presented a very strong case in court to say this person should be convicted and they should lose their job and be in jail. And I think why we take it so personal is there's such a thin line between good and bad. And it is a thin line, because there's this gray area of discretion. There's reasons why people do things. But when it becomes a police officer who takes an oath and that still means something to policing, and you you commit a crime, you break it, um, you gotta face the full wrath. And trust me, it pisses me off, boils my blood. And I'm gonna vote with ninety nine point nine nine percent of all the other police officers in the world, that hate this type of stuff. And look, we're the first to say, get this piece of garbage out of there.
0: Ron Chinzer, tell me what you really think. (laughs) I appreciate your candor, Ron. And listen, this is the first time we've chatted, but I really hope it's not the last. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. No problem, Ben. Thank you very much. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Something I think everybody needs to know about. And the reason you need to know about it is because my kids told me about it. I was uh, talking about Christmas presents with them. What do you want for Christmas? And, and they want OVO sweatshirts and they want Nikes. And I said, all right. Um, and they said, well, you should go to PandaBuy to get this stuff. And I said, what the heck's PandaBuy? I'd never heard of PandaBuy. Buy. I said, oh, PandaBuy, every kid I know at school is buying stuff off of PandaBuy. And they showed it to me and you can get Nikes or something that looks like Nikes for like four bucks. You get an OVO sweatshirt for a buck 25 and and I said, I don't know if this is legit, uh, but it is something that is catching fire with a certain demographic, and if it catches fire with them, it's only a matter of time before everybody else follows suit. So we are joined by Mike Leon, president of Brand Heroes Marketing. He's a brand expert, and I'm so glad you're here, because, so you just heard what I had to say, Mike. Does that make sense to you? Did I? Am I, am I in the right ballpark that, I am appreciating that this thing's gonna be big, uh, but I'm a little reticent to 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 spend money there.
2: <laughs> you know what, Ben? I think you are totally in the right ballpark. It's interesting, you know, because there's a good, really interesting history of brands that have been discovered or rediscovered by teens and young people, and they have just totally blown up. And I think with Panda Buy, what's sort of interesting about it is there's the whole kind of ethos around Saving and hauling and all the things that we've sort of found and loved with, you know, in Canada here with like No Frills and Value Village and all those types of brands. But then you add in kind of, you know, the the Gen Z kind of aspect to it of all these TikTok videos, all these communities, huge, huge communities on Reddit, spreadsheets. We literally have communities of folks who are building spreadsheets that help actually demystify um, PandaBuy and tell you exactly what to buy and how to buy it. Well, so uh, Mike, let, let, let's
0: take a step back and why don't you tell everybody what exactly PandaBuy is?
2: So PandaBuy is an online marketplace that allows people in the Western world to buy products in China. But a lot of those products are replicas. So or as you know, people way cooler than me call it, reps. So
0: what? <laughs> okay,
2: sure. So that that that's kind of the like Kohl's notes we're still up in to buy it. Well, oh,
0: you say replicas, but uh, the law would say that they are fakes. The law would say that they are sort of, I mean, th- those things get uh, confiscated at the border if people find out that it's not a real Louis Vuitton purse.
2: Oh, they're 100% fakes, but you know, what's interesting is is sometimes it's hard to actually find what the fake is. So you see some TikTok videos where people are comparing the products. <laughs> And literally trying to find out what are the like the, the really small subtleties that actually make this different. And that's where part of the community is growing around this.
0: Well, so I read a story years ago, and you can tell me whether this is part of this story. I read a story years ago about ghost factories in China, where Nike, for example, I'm using them as an example, they might not have a factory in China, but you know, a big brand has a factory in China, and they run it for 12 hours a day. And then once everybody leaves, a whole new crew of people comes in, and they produce the exact same thing on the exact same line, but these things are technically not officially that product. They look exactly like that product, but they are not that product, and therefore that stuff goes on the black market. Is, are those the things that are sold on PandaBuy?
2: So from what I understand, probably like I don't think these things are exactly legit. In fact, I'm pretty positive because, you know, you can get Nikes for like two dollars or you can get kind of, you know, replica Nikes for two dollars. So I'm pretty sure that's, you know, when you're going to Panda buy, that's what you're ultimately buying.
0: Yeah. And look, there's a big part of me that wants to buy two dollar Nikes. My kids are about to go through a growth spurt. They're 13 years old and their feet are going to go from, you know, six, a size six to a size 12 over the course of two years. So why would I spend 150 bucks on, on shoes when I could buy them for $2 and they're going to they're gonna wear them for two months? So I, there is that part of me, but I do not like the idea of, of, um, of buying something that is not authentic because I feel like I'm cheating the system.
2: Well, you know, I think what you're going through, Ben, is, is very much the mindset of the consumer right now, because, you know, there, there there's a part of us collectively that, you know, rightfully so, wants to buy from socially minded organizations, wants to buy products that are made ethically, sourced ethically. But, you know, then you you sort of have brands that kind of tap into this, this kind of what's known as this hauler mindset, which is go out, get something cheap, get something, find that find, and then brag about it. And, you know, No Frills has capitalized on this brilliantly. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to kind of let everything else sort of fall by the wayside in pursuit of that great buy. And I think there's a, there's a real interesting kind of conflict between buying something that makes you feel good about the, what you're doing in the world and just getting something good because it's a good buy.
0: If, if we recognize that the stuff that's being sold on this site is, I mean, if it's not illegal, it's part of the gray market. Uh, why haven't the authorities tamped down on this thing?
2: You know, it's an interesting question. I mean, you know, ultimately, this stuff seems to be making it across the border. So in some way, there seems to be some legitimacy to it. And, you know, in, in preparation for this conversation, you know, I I I Googled that exact same thing because I was curious, how is this stuff making it through? And there there seems to be legitimacy to it. So it seems to be tapping into what you say that exact gray area.
0: Well, look, if, uh, if this conversation, if if there are people in Ottawa listening and this conversation leads to Canada banning Panda Bi, I'm going to, I'm going to lie to my kids and say, well, we never spoke. I do not want to be responsible for ruining this for them. If this is something that's important to these kids, I don't want to be the guy who narked on Panda Bi. but I do appreciate you bringing this to our attention. And look, and let's be honest, People don't have the the disposable income today that they had a few years ago, and this could be a resource for people to make Christmas as good as it can possibly be for their family to stretch that dollar. If you're going to buy a pair of shoes that look like the brand name shoes, but you can spend a fraction of the price, well, guess what? You're, you're going to make that kid happy because you got them the shoes that they want. Um, and so this it, I mean, it could it could help people save Christmas. So maybe it is a good thing. You know,
2: it it, it could very well be the case. And, you know, it's just interesting how far the kids are going to find these buys, too. And listen, it's getting them into spreadsheets, which I never thought I would associate with any kind of retail commerce. But that's how they're finding these buys. So lots of good that could potentially come from this.
0: Mike Leon, president of Brand Heroes Marketing, helping us unpack what exactly is Panda Buy. Appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Have a great one. This is Toronto today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 6:40 Toronto. Our next guest is Norm De Pasquale, the co-chair of Ontario Place for All. So, the Ontario Place for All has condemned the billion-dollar taxpayer-funded mega spa according to the Auditor General report. Ontario Place for All has learned, it's probably the Auditor General report released Today, that the government promised a taxpayer-funded parking lot within 650 metres of the mega spa as part of the 95-year lease and is using the relocation of the Ontario Science Centre to justify this taxpayer expense. So that, I'm giving you sort of uh, Ontario uh, Ontario Place for All's position. We're joined by the co-chair himself, Norm De Pasquale. How are you this morning, Norm?
3: Hey, Ben, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Okay, so in, in a nutshell, give me your group's position on on what's going on at Ontario Place and why the outrage.
3: Yeah, so, you know, prior to yesterday, we were looking at a $650 million, um, you know, taxpayer subsidy for this private mega spa, including $450 million for an underground parking lot and an estimated $200 million for site servicing. Now, um, you know, it, it happened again. Another secret detail of the 95-year lease the Ontario government signed with the mega spa came out and And, like every other detail we 've learned, this one is really not good for the Ontario taxpayer. So we have learned that the Ontario government committed to a parking lot within six hundred and fifty meters of the mega spa, and that 's why that parking lot there um, you know Thermae demanded that parking lot as part of this contract and it was baked into the contract and you know the Ontario taxpayers kind of holding the bag here and then you know the other thing the Auditor General report discovered was that. Um, they're the um, they're using the demolishing and diminishing of the science center, moving it down to Ontario Place, uh, as a way to justify that parking lot. So more taxpayer expenditures to make this mega spa viable. So, uh, um, so, you know, so, we, so, Norm, I,
0: I, yeah. I want to stop you for a sec. Um, uh, sure. So, like th- things things cost things cost money, and uh, I have been I have been uh, to Ontario Place in its dying days, and it was a dump. It was, a, it was an abject dump. It opened the same year as Disney World. And if you go to Disney World today, it, it looked, it doesn't look anything like Ontario Place. And the biggest difference to me is that one was being run by a government. And call me crazy, I don't think the government should be in the business of amusement parks. And so this transformation of it, and you keep calling it a, a mega spa. I mean, it, there's there's a lot of wetlands and public spaces, and there's going to be, it's a Family, uh, it's going to be inclusive of family and Aboriginal groups, and there's going to be restaurants and stuff. And uh, it, so, it's calling it a mega spa, I think, is is sort of trying to cast it in a negative light. Um, but but things cost what they things cost things. There's going to be an initial outlay of cash, and then this thing's going to make money and hopefully for years to come. And if It's run better than Ontario Place was in the past. Then it'll be there for generations to enjoy. So what exactly is the problem with that? I struggle to see what the problem is. We're going to have something great down at the waterfront that we haven't had since Ontario Place opened in
3: 1971. Thanks, Ben. Uh, There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I'll start with the fact that um, Trillium Park, part of Ontario Place, reopened in 2017. And it was hugely successful and why it was successful is because they reimagined Ontario Place as a 21st century public space. Um, you know, we costed out what it would look like to uh, do that sort of trillion part treatment across Ontario Place. And you're looking at a fraction of the cost of the taxpayer, under $100 million versus, you know, ballooning costs of over a billion. Um, now, in terms of the mega spa, What the province proposes to do is erase 850 trees and everything that's on West Island and drop a giant glass mega spot in, and it is a mega spot. It's the same size as BMO field across the street at the X. So you know this doesn't
0: to and and you know when we think about the spot uh, business, norm. Norm, I want to I want to stop. Sure. You. I I want I want to jump in as well. I don't know that you're going to find a, like listen. I I I think this city doesn't have enough green spaces. I think Rail Deck Park is the last possible great city building exercise that we are capable of. And if we can ever get and that done, I would love to see it happen. I want more of that, but when you when when you're when you're talking to a, just a, a regular guy like me and telling me that we're going to be demolishing 850 trees that doesn't resonate with me we can plant more trees but what we can't do is is keep allowing this this uh this parcel of land that has been a suck on, on the province and the city for God knows how long to just sit there idle when we could be making, we could make a lot of money off of this. What's wrong with making money
3: off of a place like that? And so Ontario Place last year made five, $5.9 million. So it's not a money suck. Um, and it hasn't been a money. Yeah, but how much did it cost? Time.
0: I mean, it might have made that, that made that's a point
3: nine made a profit of five point nine million dollars well, in last year's annual report.
0: I got it. Well, OK, well, I, but I listen, I got to think that we can do better. I got to think that we can do better. Like, it's. I mean, what is the purpose of this
3: place? It was meant to celebrate and reflect Ontarians and give every Ontarian a backyard. I talk to people who go jogging there and they say, I forget that I'm in Toronto and in some sort of an oasis that, you know, sort of has like sort of Ontario forests and. On sort of silos that reflect northern Ontario. And I I take your point.
0: And I I take your point. Uh, Absolutely, I take your point. Um, But that was also at a time where we weren't doing so much to reclaim other parts of our waterfront. uh, If you looked at the city in the 80s versus how it is today, we have a far more walkable, far more beautiful waterfront than we did back then. And so the backyard has extended and to, I'll go a little further. I mean, I've seen the renderings of what what there is. A lot of public space that's going to be available. A lot of walking trails. A lot of uh, places for people to sit and enjoy um, uh, the area free of charge. There's going to be beaches. There's going to be uh, the ability to go swimming and 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 take out boats. I mean, this is not just. It's not a gated garden where the a, a private industry is going to say, "Pay us when you come in." Uh, there's a lot of access, free access. Is, am I wrong?
3: The devil's in the details. So the area that they have for swimming is right next to a combined sewage outflow. And Thermae expects the city to fix it. And the city says, we can't fix it. It's tens of millions of dollars to fix. So they're moving the beach. There's a beautiful swimmable beach right now on West Island that people love and swim in. Every day of the year, believe it or not. Yeah. And um, they're moving that beach from there to directly next to a combined sewage outflow. Well,
0: look, I, I, I'll so, uh, uh, Norm. I will give you that. If that actually happens, that is that is terrible, and they're not doing themselves any favors. If that happens, that is a that is a um, um, well. That's someone should be held to account for that. But uh, yeah. if we if if you look at it from thirty thousand feet. I mean it's it looks like it's going to be a beautiful place. It looks like a place where people are going to want to go. It looks and and don't forget they're rehabilitating the CineSphere. You still have the Budweiser yep. stage, more reasons for people to go down there, which means more money is going to get spent down there. Um I I struggle to see where the outrage is. And I I I'm I'm not being facetious and I'm not trying to be confrontational. I just want to be honest yep. with you. I'm trying to figure out why I should get up in the morning and care that mm-hmm. this is that this, is, uh, that this is happening? I, I look at it and say, like, great, we're doing something with that space finally.
3: Yeah, and you know, we're surrendering it for 95 years. Is that the cost of doing something with the space? Um, you know, Bill Davis said, public interest, not commercial interest, must drive the vision of Ontario Place. And when we leave with public interest, that's when we do things right. And Ontarians never had a say on this giant glass mega spa being dropped down there. And I think Ontarians deserve a say in a place that, you know, taxpayers have paid for. Um, you know, to build and and was meant to celebrate and reflect them. So those are some of the issues that we have with this. And sure, some of the revitalization looks fine as you look at East Island and the central area. But we're not willing to give up West Island for 95 years to a mega spa. I mean, that's our children, our children's children. We're losing it for generations, and and we won't get it back.
0: Uh, Norm De Pasquale, co-chair of Ontario Place for All. I want to tell you before we end. I want to thank you for being here. I hope you know that I, I just yeah, I. I was approaching this as just a regular guy on the street. Thank you for giving me some information I didn't have. Uh, and, uh, And I have to say, I commend you for standing up for what you believe in and for getting the word out. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you, Ben. It was a pleasure.